This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Friday and we close out another week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions. All you have to do is call us, 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're located outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of your button, and then everything else is hands-free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. We look forward to your calls as we close out the week. Uh, Because it's Friday, we've got uh, uh, church service tonight at 7 o'clock. Uh, you can watch it online at calvarysa.com, or you can join us. We typically have room on Friday nights as well. Uh, tonight I'm going to be starting First Peter chapter 3, and this is the passage of Scripture that literally, no hyperbole here, literally saved my life. So I'm, I'm really emotionally invested into this Bible study tonight. First Peter chapter 3, I'm going to do the first six verses. And then on Sunday, I'm going to be in Luke chapter 24. We're starting the final chapter in the Gospel of Luke. We've been in Luke for, I don't know, a year and a half or so. And uh, we, uh, we're, we're just uh, two more studies after this Sunday. And then we're going to be moving to First Timothy on Sunday. So that's what's on tap here. I trust that when you go to church, wherever it is you go, you're going to ask the Lord to uh, empower you. Um, to use you, and you're going to ask him for some divine appointments where God might use you to bring somebody to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, I think too often we assume that everybody in church is already saved. Not so. Not so at all. So maybe if you ask God to use you, you'll set up one of those divine appointments, and you might be the one that leads the last person to Christ before he comes for his church. Wouldn't that be a wonderful, wonderful gift? Well, let's get to questions while we await your phone calls today. Uh, the first one is from Martha. She says, Pastor Ron, if Calvinism is true, why would God create people with no hope of salvation? Martha, here's the problem, and, and I think you're looking at this um, uh, this way because of the way you phrased your question. Calvinism is not true. Now, it's not heretical. I don't want to be confused here. 
Um, um, Calvinism is not heresy. It's just bad um, exegesis of the scriptures. That's all it is. So Calvinism is not true. There is no way that God, a God who loves everybody, God who makes no distinction and has no favorites, that God would make some people without the ability. Now, he certainly knows that there are going to be a lot of people, uh, Martha, who won't say yes to him. He can't do anything about that except keep knocking on the door of their heart. But it is impossible for any doctrine to counteract the nature, the character of God, and the idea that God would tell somebody throughout his word, choose this day whom you'll serve, uh, issue invitation after invitation, and they say, oh, just kidding, you can't come, because I uh, elected you for for hell rather than heaven. Uh, It's just impossible. So, Martha, Calvinism is not true. Now, for those of you who don't know what Calvinism is uh, by term, it's a teaching that God chooses some people to go to heaven, other people to go to hell, and there's nothing we can do about God's choice because that's his sovereign power being demonstrated. So rest easy in the God that you know about, Martha. God couldn't create someone and give them no chance no hope of salvation in any fashion or form. So um, I think that's the easiest way to answer the question. Calvinism just is not true. Here is a question from Kenneth. I want to know if doctors and nurses who perform abortions go to hell. Uh, Kenneth, everybody goes to hell who rejects Jesus Christ. You know, we don't get sent to hell for performing abortions. We don't get sent to hell for a particular sin. The only sin that sends us to hell is the rejection of the invitation of grace given to us through Jesus Christ. If we die in that state, then we're going to spend eternity in hell. And that's the one disease. You know, it doesn't matter what other things are going on in your life. Everything is a function of uh, Jesus calling you to himself and, and, and you saying no. Now, regarding doctors and nurses who go, uh, who perform abortions, there are, I want to be careful how I say this, I'm sure there are, I know for a fact there are doctors and nurses who performed abortions before they got saved. And once saved, they saw that it was a sin, a, a horrible sin. Uh, and I'm confident that that uh, repenting of that sin, uh, I'm grateful that that sin isn't one that sends us to hell. It's not the unforgivable sin. You know, Kenneth, I know a lot of women, and, and wherever you go to church, and certainly where I come to church, uh, there's always women in the audience who've had abortions. That doesn't send them to hell. What we need to remember is that God forgives all sins, even those ones that we consider the worst of the worst. And certainly abortion is murder. It is, it is a horrible, horrible thing. However, it is a sin that's covered by the blood of Jesus if we repent of that sin and ask for forgiveness. Uh, I think by just the nature of people who perform these horrible, horrible procedures, Kenneth. I think most of the people who perform them, doctors, nurses, um, and anybody else, I think they are unsaved people who are going to spend eternity in hell. But we have to remember, that's not because they commit abortions or perform abortions. It's because they've rejected 
Jesus Christ, who is God's only answer for sin. It's a real, real touchy subject, and yet the truth is we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And all sin, the little ones that we commit every day, and the big ones like abortion, all of those sins are covered by the blood of Jesus if we will only ask for forgiveness. You know, Kenneth, I am always careful to say this because I'm uh, very aware that there are uh, women uh, in our radio audience who are guilty of committing the sin of abortion. They've taken a human life, and, uh, you know, the enemy's always screaming at them that that's, that's it, that's the unforgivable sin. I want you to know that it's not the unforgivable sin, and that when you go to heaven, you will have a reunion, a glorious reunion with your child and he or she will know you and you will know them and there won't be any I'm sorry's necessary there won't be uh, any awkward moments there'll just be the love of God is mother and son or mother and daughter realize that the extent of the grace of God so try to stop thinking about a particular sin Clearly, there are sins that are worse than others. But all sin separates us from God. And if we're separated from God, then there's no heaven for anybody. Very, very important um, perspective, I think, Kenneth. Thank you for the question. Here is a difficult question from Raymond. He says, uh, Pastor Ron, how should willful sin be handled in the church? I don't see sin being dealt with publicly. You know, Raymond, um, we don't do that very often uh, in in the church culture that we live in. It's just not something uh, that was done. We know that when Paul wrote the letter to the church at Corinth, that the, the, the church in Corinth, it was a very carnal church, but, but they were believers nonetheless, and they were accepting of, of, a, of an especially perverse sexual sin. And Paul, when he heard about it, he says, I can't believe you guys are just turning your nose at this, thin, at this sin. I've already judged such a man and handed him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his soul might be saved. And he talks about what we're supposed to do. Jesus talks about what we're supposed to do when somebody is sinning willfully in the church. And the truth is, we just don't do it. Raymond, we don't do it at the one-on-one level because people think, well, I'll just go tell the pastor. I'll go tell one of the elders. And and um, um, it's, it's always the responsibility, the one who knows about the sin, to lovingly but directly confront the sinner. You're a believer. You shouldn't be doing this. You know better. And if they refuse, then we take somebody else with us and we, we appeal to them again on the basis of this is what the Word says and this is how you're living your life. And then it says if he doesn't listen then, then we're to tell it to the church. Now certainly that doesn't mean Raymond, that we're to gossip in the church. It just means that we're to let everybody know the way Paul did in Corinth that this is a person who has been put out from under the care and the protection of the church. He's on his own. And we're going to let Satan deal with him. So it's important. Now, publicly also does not mean, Raymond, and I've wrestled with this over the years, but public does not mean that I stand at the pulpit 
and and publicly castigate somebody. That that's that's not a very edifying or productive use of our time in church. We have had to let people in our church know that this man or this woman is no longer welcome in the church until he or she repents, and we would certainly welcome them back warmly and eagerly. Um, but uh, to, to, to stand up and just blab business that most people don't know anything about really isn't very constructive. So uh, telling it to the church doesn't mean just telling it to everybody. Um, but but dealing with uh, the necessary people, and in most cases it would be the leadership of the church, and everybody would be aware that this person is no longer welcome here because of, of the, the, the sin that they're in. Uh, and then they would be instructed to pray continually for them. Now the reason this is important, Raymond, is because when Paul put that one in Corinth out of the church, the effect that he he wanted was exactly what he got six months later when he wrote Second Corinthians. We know that this man had been restored to the body. He'd come in repentance. And Paul's word to the church at Corinth was then to receive him warmly. Put your arms around him and take care of him. Make sure he knows how much he's loved by God. So sin ought to be handled. It ought to be handled directly. It ought to be handled, uh, first of all, individually, face to face. Then there are are different levels of handling it. Um, but if somebody out and out rejects doing the right thing, then we got to take our hands off of them. You know, Raymond, one of the problems we have in our church culture is unlike in the uh, early church when these things were written for us, um, there are so many churches and so many big churches that people can just sort of fade in and out. So if I were to tell somebody they couldn't come to church here anymore, they just go to another church. If they wanted to pretend everything is okay, they just find another church to go to. And sadly, even if I were to talk to another pastor about this person, they would say, oh, well, we don't judge people here. We want to give them a chance. Most of us are so eager to get people in to fill the seats and we don't really stop and think about what's right, the right thing to do, according to the Word of God. So you're right, you don't see sin being dealt with publicly in a lot of churches. Um, they don't even like talking about sin. Um, they just want people, they want money, and as long as they've got that, then um, they can fool themselves and think everything is going well. Let's go to line one, Ray calling from San Antonio. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, going back to what you've mentioned numerous times about abortion and the uh, child will know the, the mother uh, if they're in heaven, you know what I'm saying. Well, you... I've never heard anything from you about what about the uh, male part of that <laughs> uh, creation, you know, and and if if that was uh, uh, you know instigated by that person, or if they were in agreement that they could not do that, or would you comment on that, please? Sure, Ray, I can. Thank you, and thank you for calling earlier today. I appreciate it very, very much. Um, 
Yeah, you know, we normally associate the mother uh, of the unborn child as the one who has the abortion. Certainly that's accurate. But but often, Ray is right, often um, this is a decision made by the, the, the father and the mother, married or unmarried, of, of the child. And uh, it's just a way to get rid of the problem and... Um, what what man has always wanted is the ability to sin without consequence. And that's what abortion is. We can talk about extreme cases, you know, where where uh, somebody has an abortion because they were raped or because of incest, and that always is inflammatory emotionally. Um, but the truth is, overwhelmingly, most abortions are performed uh, because um, the pregnant woman or her the father of a child I simply don't want to be bothered with the child. It's not the right time. It's inconvenient. Uh, they can't afford it. There's a bunch of reasons. Now, we could say, well, all they have to do is stop having sex, and they won't have to worry about getting pregnant. But, you see, the world doesn't want to do that. So the man is equally culpable if he is in favor of it or promoting it. Um, uh, his guilt is is the same as the mother's. In that case, you know, Ray, you gave me a chance uh, to, to mention one other thing, uh, because I've had extreme reactions from women before who've had abortions, and they would say things like, well, I don't want to see my baby in heaven. I'm so ashamed. I'm so, uh, you know, we all want to know what our kids would be like when they grow up. Imagine seeing your son or your daughter, even if you didn't know at the time you had the abortion, which gender your child was. Imagine seeing your son or your daughter perfectly, not an infant. When God created Adam, he was a full-grown man. So when our infants go to heaven after an abortion, um, their glorified resurrected bodies, they won't won't remain an infant forever. Um, They will will realize the, the glorified physical resurrected bodies that God always intended for them. Imagine what that would be like to see a child. I have a baby brother who died. Uh, he had a, a brain problem when he was born. Uh, his name is Ricky Allen. I never got to see him personally. Uh, I'm going to get to see him in heaven. And he's not going to have um, water in the brain, which was his condition. Uh, he's going to be absolutely perfect. And we're going to know each other forever and ever and ever. Um, that's exactly the case with babies that have been aborted as well. Thanks, Ray, for giving me that opportunity. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Anthony asks the question, um, as a Christian, should I value faith or reason more? Anthony, what a complex question that is. Now, the problem with reason is that reason only um, involves what we think we can understand, what makes sense to us. Uh, for uh, and I'll, I use our school a lot as an example, but, but it makes no sense at all to start a free school. Um, we can't afford it. We still can't afford it. Money is uh, our cross to bear, and boy, we have born it every day of every year we've been here. Um, But you know what? When God said to do something as his servant, 
the only reasonable thing for me to do is to be obedient. The most unreasonable thing, the, the, the most unreasonable reaction is to say, no, Lord, it doesn't make sense. So I think as a Christian, you should value faith in God, but at the same time understand what's reasonable or not reasonable or unreasonable. And it's unreasonable not to be obedient. It's reasonable to do it. When you ask this question, Anthony, you're just thinking, well, if something doesn't make sense or if something is risky or something scares me, then then I shouldn't do it. I need to be really careful. Now, I, I know a lot of pastors, Anthony, who have developed a closer relationship with reason more than they have with faith. You know, as pastors, we have a tendency to do what we were trained to do in the church we were raised in, or, or we do what other churches do, successful churches. And I frankly don't think that many pastors will go to the Lord and say, Jesus, what do you want from us? I'm your servant. This is your church. These are your people. What's your vision for this church? And whatever that vision is, then we're bound to do it. And I think there's a lot of pastors who simply say, well, that doesn't make sense. I'll give you another example, Anthony, and this is one that is always something that just bugs me to no end. You listen to uh, Christian radio stations like this one or others, and at the end of every program, now in the middle of the program, often at the beginning of a program, they have a, uh, you know, a bunch of time um, selling stuff or, or asking for money. And, and if I say to people, and I have, well, why don't you just trust God? If God's told you to get involved in this radio ministry, why don't you trust God to pay for it? And they say, well, everybody asks for money. I mean, radio time is expensive, and it's expensive. And if that's the case, how am I going to pay for it if I don't ask the people who listen to support it? And that is a reasonable position, but I think it's one that's totally lacking faith. And Anthony, I don't know if you've listened to this program for long or you've been listening to any of our teaching programs that are on all over the country. Um, We have never spent one second of our radio time asking for money or selling any product to try to raise money. The time that we have, roughly 26 minutes out of the 30-minute time period that we're given, uh, all 26 minutes of it is spent um, teaching the Word, or in this case, answering your questions. And then we have a short intro and a short outro, but the time is to the Word. Now, that doesn't make sense. It's not reasonable, but I think because without faith it's impossible to please God, Hebrews eleven six says. I think that we got to value faith above all things. Faith is a gift from God. It's not a faith that we have. It's not a faith that we can somehow manage to work up. It's a gift given to us by God. And I think most of us understand that principle when it comes to salvation. But I think far too few of us, Anthony understand that principle as it pertains to living every day in the grace of God. I want 
people here at Calvary Chapel, I want those of you who are listening to this radio program to hear enough from me that every day we've got to get up and say, Lord, what about me and what about today? And if we call him Lord, then we don't get to interpret. We don't get to say, well, you know, I'm going to throw out a fleece. And we don't get to do those things. Our response is yes, Lord, or no, Lord. And if you're a believer, those two words, no, Lord, should never go together in your conversations with Jesus. Not ever. So, Anthony, I think faith, those of us who live by faith, we're going to be right on the edge. And sometimes that edge is so dangerous, so precarious, that it looks like you're going to fall off this cliff. But that's where Jesus is. He's out there on that edge. Jesus isn't in the safe places. He's always out on that edge. He told Abraham, the father of faith, leave your people, leave your home, and go to a place I'll show you. He didn't tell him where. He didn't tell him how. He didn't tell him when. He just said, leave and go. And he did. So those are the kind of responses, Anthony, that I believe we Christians ought to value more perhaps than anything else. You know, um, walking by faith has made me old. But boy, it has sure given me a rich and fulfilling life. A life every day where I get up and I, I literally wonder, okay, Lord, what's today? And I don't mean that in a complaining, begrudging way, but almost in a, okay, Lord, I know we're going someplace. And, and that's exactly what he does. So, Anthony, I think faith is to be valued way more than what I think you mean by reason. We are coming to the second half of our program, 340-9585. We'd love to have your live calls and questions. This is the Word to Stand In for Life. We'll be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes. Don't have time to call into the Word to Stand On for Life? No problem. If you've got questions, you can email them to Pastor Ron at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. Our week boils down to the final 30 minutes. 340-9585. Here's a question from Charles. He says, do you know of any good summaries of all 66 books? of our Bible. Charles, off the top of my head, uh, I do not know names of books. No, there, there's certainly some authors that have overview commentaries like Warren Wearsby, um, uh, his series that you, you can still buy. Uh, he just went to be with the Lord, by the way. Um, and, and, and his is a, a, a good look at uh, all 66 books. But what you can find uh, online is some really good overviews of the Bible. Uh, people like Ray Steadman, he's also with the Lord. All his stuff is free. Um, you can go to Ray Steadman uh, Library and and find um, uh, his, his stuff. Uh, a friend of mine, Skip Heitzig, a friend, he's a casual friend of mine, um, 
Uh, he's got some um, commentaries, uh, not commentaries, but but Bible studies. I think he called it, I'm going to guess here, but it's uh, the Bible at 30,000 feet. And it's like a flyover of the Bible. And so he'll do, um, for example, uh, his Genesis study begins, he'll do the first 11 verses in one Bible study. And it's just to give you an overview. And he, he does that for uh, the whole Bible. So there's a lot of stuff out there. Um, I just don't know um, uh, what authors would have published in those things. But, Charles, there's no uh, summary at all. So um, since I just mentioned Skip Heitzig, let me ask everybody to pray. Um, uh, Skip is in the uh, ICU in stable condition. Uh, He is the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Albuquerque. It's a huge, huge Calvary Chapel. And uh, uh, he had a brain bleed. Uh, this is the second time. So uh, in, in the last three weeks, uh, this is the second. He had his surgery yesterday or last night. And he is uh, um, dealing with, with uh, some physical issues. So please play for Skip and Linya Heitzig, the church there in Albuquerque. I'm just told that Raw Reese, uh, who is my friend, is filling in for him uh, in Albuquerque. So please keep them all in your prayers, please. Here is an anonymous question. He said, uh, or she said, do you, do you think do you think things are worse than ever before when it comes to the younger generation? I ask because I do, and I'm scared. Um, anonymous, uh, one thing that I can say for sure, unequivocally, is that Every generation thinks the generation coming up behind them is the worst ever. Now, i got to tell you, I was in the hippie generation. Uh, I grew up um, in the 60s and uh, graduated from high school in 1969. And uh, I used to see my dad shake with anger when he would just look at a hippie. Um, when, when we were protesting the Vietnam War, um, people would get so angry they'd spit on us and things and it was just it was it's just the natural friction from generation to generation here's what I think the biggest problem is for this generation I think their access to information not having been taught um, how to process information not having been taught to, to logically use their ability to reason and ask questions and then and, and, and research answers, um, I think that's created a, a, a generation that is so shallow that everything boils down to what about me and what about now in a, in a, in a, in a fleshy way. So I, I don't think things are worse than ever before. However, there are things... That would frighten me too. Now, as a, as a believer, it doesn't frighten me in terms of of heaven or hell because I know I'm going to heaven. But the Bible says that in these last days, things are going to get worse than they've ever been. The, the world is not going to improve. You know, unbelievers say, well, if the church is true, why isn't the church changing the world? Well, the church's job isn't to change the world. Our job is to change individuals, and we're pretty good at doing that. But those who reject Jesus Christ are so um, easily drawn in to conspiracy theories. They're they're drawn in to uh, groupthink, again, without 
the ability to be rational or reason through situations. Um, and so, yeah, I think we're seeing what Paul describes in Second Timothy chapter 3 when he describes uh, the world. Uh, he says, Timothy, mark this. Pay special attention to this. In the last days, there will be perilous times. I mean, he describes a, a life that is very similar to the world that we live in. People be lovers of themselves and not lovers of of God, they'll be uh, without natural affection. The, the idea there is the love that a mother instinctively has for a newborn child. Uh, that will be absent. We see kids dying. We, we, uh, you know, kids are just not connected to the right one, and they're always sort of semi-connected to all of the wrong things. And so things are getting worse, and they're going to get worse. Now, here's our responsibility, anonymous, in a situation that we find ourselves in Acts chapter 17 it says that God put us here at this time in the place that we are by design and he did it so it would be easier for us to find God but this is where we find our purpose in the Lord where we are and what that means um, what you have seen that's frightened you is is a world that is an almost infinite opportunity for you to be effective for the kingdom of God. You know, if you want to be a light, lights are much more effective. Lights are much more effective in dark places. We live in a dark place. So the way to respond to this anonymous is for you to to share your faith, share your light with people who are caught in the darkness. Um... I see things, and like everybody else, I just shake my head and think, Lord, how much worse can things get before you come? And and because he doesn't come, I guess things can still get worse. Well, our job, our job as Christians is to be a light for those who are living in darkness. Here's another anonymous question. He said, she says, is it okay for a Christian woman to get breast implants uh, yeah, I would say it's okay. Um, um, anonymous, I would say to really examine your heart. Uh, why do you want breast implants? If it's just to look better, um, then I think that's probably not a good reason. Um, if it's just something that you'd feel better about yourself and um, you know, you're not trying to look sexier or something then um, then I think it would it would be okay to do it. But see, these are areas of Christian freedom that you've got to wrestle with the Lord about. And instead of asking me, this is something that you ought to bathe in prayer. Um, so I would say, yeah, it's okay if the Lord gives you the freedom to do it. And this is one of those things, if your heart is right, Anonymous, he's going to answer your question. And all you have to do, and this is the reason that I think people ask me instead of asking the Lord, I think um, we don't ask the Lord because we're afraid he'd say no. This is one of those things where you've got to say, Jesus, your will and not mine be done. It's okay to, with a grateful heart, make your request known to God. It's okay to say, Lord, I feel like I need these. I feel like they will make me feel better about myself. Um but I want to do what you want to do. I promise you, Anonymous, Jesus will speak to your heart. Sit down with him one morning, open your Bible, and read it 
You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're the best thing God ever did. This coming Wednesday, Anonymous, this might be a good study for you to listen to here at Calvary Chapel. I don't know where you're writing from, but uh, you can go to calvaryessay.com. And I'm going to be talking about day six of creation in Genesis chapter one. When God made man, mankind, the, the most magnificent thing he ever created. And I think maybe the Lord will speak to your heart about these things. But uh, I wouldn't listen to anybody else. I wouldn't let anybody tell you yes or no. I would say this is a an opportunity for you to mature in your faith, to mature in your relationship with the Lord, and get to a place where you can say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? And by the way, and I'm not comparing these two things, Anonymous, uh, this is the same answer I give to people who want to get tattoos. You know, are tattoos a fad? If you just want to get it, if it's just something fun, uh, seek the Lord. What does he say? He knows your future. He knows if those tattoos are going to be stumbling blocks for others or if they're going to be an, an impediment to what he's called you to do. Um, most likely, he'll say, sure, it's okay. Just be sure you're getting something that's not ungodly. But, but these are the kind of things where we've got to learn to exercise our freedom in Christ. I tell our church all the time, that my job as a pastor is to teach them how to use their freedom, not for sin, but to bring God glory and honor. And, you know, we've got a bunch of people with a lot of tattoos here. And very few of them, uh, they're younger than me, of course, but very few of them who get tattoos as believers are sorry later that they did. So use it as a tool. So I hope that helps, and I'm certainly not an expert on breast implants. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Thomas says, "I continually question my salvation. How can you help me, um, Thomas? I I don't know that I can. I don't know you, but here's what I can tell you. I can tell you that 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 you need the faith to believe to really believe what the Bible says." I personally think, and I don't know you, Thomas, so this isn't personal, but I personally think that it is arrogant to question your salvation when God has told you that he forgives you. I think it borders on um, weak faith. Um, You know, Jesus was with his disciples for three and a half years, and they would ask him these questions, and I imagine Jesus kind of putting his hand to his forehead and saying, oh, have I been with you so long and you still don't know these things? How foolish you are and slow to believe these things. Um, Thomas, here's what I can tell you for sure. Jesus doesn't want you to question your salvation. Jesus wants you to walk in the security of knowing that he's got you in his hands and nothing can change. So this is a matter of faith. Be like the disciples. Say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And then learn to recognize the voice of the devil as opposed to the voice of God. The questioning voice is always the enemy. He's trying to get you to stumble and trip. He's trying to frighten you. The voice of God is always the voice of assurance. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. Thomas, if you can believe that those two verses... Your problem solved. 
And then the next time the doubts come again, then all you have to do is answer with first, or Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Nope, the issue's settled. God said it. I believe it. And it doesn't matter how you feel, or it doesn't matter what you hear. Thomas, this is an issue I think is really important, and it's one that I know God wants you to deal with. He wants you to be secure in what he's told you. Let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. You know, Hi, since Cindy. we've been studying creation, I've, <clears throat> excuse me, I kind of, you've been having these kind of I wonder thoughts. I don't know that I really have a question in here other than when God first created the earth and, you know, when he first created everything, he knew ahead of time that Adam and Eve would fall and that that would bring death to the planet. And I was thinking that had they not fallen, there wouldn't be any death. And in the course of time, we would have been completely overcrowded with people, animals, and insects and things. And then I wondered, you know, what what, what would have happened? It's it just kind of where my brain was going. And, and I don't know that there's a question in there more than, than your comment, which I'll listen to on the um, radio. Oh, also, because then later on, we would have our glorified bodies heaven where, where there would never be any death but there wouldn't be any more people because we would already be there the amount of people that are going to be there so this is everything that's going around in my head today i'll <laughs> get off the phone and listen to you thank you cindy you know had there not been a fall we wouldn't need glorified bodies because we have had them already you know the only reason we need a glorified body for heaven is because adam and eve blew it Sin entered the world. Had sin never entered the world, there never would have been any of the problems that we think of them the, the way we think of them. Um, God certainly would have have uh, made sure that there was enough space for all the people. Um, but remember, God's plan was perfect based on God knowing what was going to happen. So I find very little value in thinking about things like, well, what would it have been like if they didn't sin? Um, God knew that they were going to and still created them. I think the thing to really focus on is the infinite love of God who created us perfect, knowing we were going to blow it, and then loved us so much that he had a plan waiting to put into to, to action to, to redeem us from our sin. So... Um, yeah, there wouldn't be death if we hadn't fallen into into sin, if, if Adam hadn't taken a plunge. Um, we wouldn't have um, the, the troubles that we have. Um, the earth wouldn't be um, cursed. And we can't even imagine an uncursed earth. Uh, imagine uh, thorns and, and briars and, and working the land. All of that was a result of the fall. If there was no fall, the land worked itself. So, so it was just an amazing creation that we can't comprehend. Um, and, and if we go all the way down to the end of time and space after the millennium, there's going to have to be a new heaven and a new earth, Cindy, uh, because God wants us to experience what it was like in those days. We'll have our own Garden of Eden on this new earth, but that'll be our existence forever and ever. I, I'm just fascinated by that prospect. 
So, Cindy, that's the, my comment on in regard to it. I, I spend a lot of time as a fairly young Christian um, trying to figure out answers to hypothetical questions. And, you know, they're just, and, and there's never been any value in that. It's just better to focus on what we know for sure than to focus on things that we're not sure about. Good question, Cindy. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Marilyn. She wants to know, uh, why is the devil going to be released at the end of the thousand years? You know, Marilyn, I think every Christian that read through the book of Revelation asked the same question. Well, we were done with him. Why is he going to be given another chance? And the answer is, the answer is because the people that are born during the thousand year reign of Christ on earth. Now remember, this is going to be a redeemed earth. Not perfect like the new earth, but a redeemed earth. And population is going to flourish in a thousand years. Imagine the population explosion on a near-perfect earth. And those are going to be people born in flesh and blood bodies. Now, as Christians, Marilyn, we're not going to be there in flesh and blood bodies. We're going to be there in our glorified, resurrected physical bodies. But the people that are just born in regular bodies during the thousand years, they've never had a choice. Jesus rules with an iron scepter, we're told, by the prophets. And that means he enforces obedience. And God never forces us to love him, to spend forever with him. So at the end of the thousand years, he's going to let the devil loose. And the devil is going to be free to tempt us again. And we would think, at least I hope we would think, that after a thousand-year reign of perfect righteousness and perfect justice, that everybody would say, oh, devil, get away from here. No, Jesus is the bomb, you know. But that's not what they're going to say. The Bible says that those who are deceived by the devil after the thousand years will, will be like the number of grains of sand on the seashores. And it's hyperbole to say more than we can imagine. And then they're all going to be thrown into the lake of fire, including the devil. So he's he's an instrument of choice. You can choose God, choose evil, but everybody, Marilyn, everybody has to choose. And while it's very distressing for those of us to think, well, the devil's gone, he's not a problem, and a thousand years later he's coming back, I believe for those of us who are there in our glorified, resurrected bodies, I think it's going to be a really heartbreaking thing to see people turning away from God in droves. And I think the point of all of it is to say, you know, people blame their environment, they blame their parents for the condition of their lives. I think it's Jesus' final statement that says, you know, the problem was always man. We have met the enemy and he is us. And I think that's what he's going to prove by letting the devil go. Here is a question from Larry. What one person from the Bible would you most like to be able to talk to, not including Jesus? Larry, for me, that's so easy. Uh, I am a huge, huge fan of the Apostle Paul. Uh, His life, he, he has fascinated me from almost the moment I got saved. Uh, when I started reading through the book of Acts, he is the one figure that, that captured my heart. 
I felt like I was reading, you know, some people are about sci-fi or some people are about like Indiana Jones and stuff. That's how I was with the Apostle Paul. And he is my hero in the faith. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm like him in very few ways. I'm unlike him in a lot of ways. But there's there's just always been sort of a kinship. And um, I, I can't wait to thank God for him. In the presence of God, I want to say thank you for Paul and thank you for his stories. But just to sit down and talk to him. Um, and I have spent a lot of time, by the way, thinking about that conversation. So that's mine. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't begrudge anybody who has other examples. But uh, for me, that's the one. Here's a question from Patricia. She wants to know, why is it that we don't experience the daily miracles that we read about in the Gospels and in the book of Acts? Um, Patricia, uh, you know, one of the problems with the way our Bibles read, you know, you open one chapter and go to the next chapter, and, you, you know, we almost read it like those things happen, um, chapter one on a Monday, chapter two on a Tuesday, chapter three on a Wednesday, et cetera, et cetera. The problem is it didn't happen that way. The book of Acts takes about 28 to 30 years of of first century history and while there are miracles recorded there there are miracles that didn't happen every day and there are miracles that there were long periods of time where nothing seemed to happen and and I think it's it's an unreasonable expectation to think well well you know Peter told the beggar at the gate beautiful to rise and walk and and, um, and you know, we, we don't do that. Um, and I just think it's miracles, by definition, are extraordinary things that happen, um, not ordinary things. I think we've tried in our church culture to make miracles an ordinary thing. Let me say the second reason, Patricia, is because we don't need the miracles that they did in the first century church. Those were signs and wonders. Signs always point to something or someone. And all of those miracles that Jesus did screamed, I'm the Christ, I'm the Messiah. In the book of Acts, when you see the apostles doing these miracles, those are miracles that, that validated their message. Their message was that Jesus is the Christ. Now, there are places in this world where you still see miracles like that. Again, not daily, it wasn't daily in the book of Acts. But it's in places where Jesus isn't known. And in our nation, we don't need a sign to point to Jesus. There's a church on every street corner. The Bible, I said in a study two weeks ago, has sold more than 5 billion copies. It is by far the most popular book ever written. We don't need signs to point to Jesus. We have everything else that points to him. So, Patricia, let me refocus your your attention not on miracles but on the person of Jesus Christ you don't need a miracle I think when we go to church wanting our miracle I think even worse when those pastors teach that because they know that the idea of miracles will draw crowds I think they're going to have a really tough time standing before God so we don't need them let me give you another quick one we wouldn't recognize real miracle if it is we settle for falling down and shaking getting goosebumps Patricia, I hope that helps. Hey, have a great weekend. Go to church, talk to somebody, pray for somebody, be available to be used by the Lord. Thanks for a great week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We'll see you next week.
Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. 